Welcome to Military Network Radio, where we'll bring dynamic interviews and fresh information about topics affecting your quality of life at each stage of your military service. Join us each week for information of value that improves your outlook, actions, and encourages each member of the family. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Everyone serves, and together we make a difference. And now, here's your host, Linda Crater. Good morning and welcome to our program today. We have an excellent guest who is going to talk to us about a topic that is tough to talk about, and that is moral injury. I think we've had enough shows about PTSD, and we also know how war changes people, but there's there's an element in here that some struggle with more than others, and it is a tough one. And so we're going to be talking today with Tom Voss, an Iraq War veteran, and Tom is known as the meditating vet because he has walked across the country, 2,700-mile journey, to heal because he realized he needed a different way than the standard treatments that are offered by VA and, and forward. And so we, we talk about how he came close to hitting bottom and then decided to embark on this journey. And he has now documented it in a book called uh, Iraq War Vet Reveals Path from Moral Injury to Healing and Advocacy. And we are so glad to welcome you today, Tom. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. I, I think this is a, a very interesting story, and I'd love to go back to the beginning. You served in Iraq. You came home. You were a scout sniper. You saw things you couldn't unsee, and you lived you lived with a lot of pain and agony. The book you wrote is called Where War Ends, and I think we know that war does not end when you come home. War changes people. And go back to your journey once you came home. What happened? What drew you to, to walk? And, and where are some of the pitfalls and thresholds that you just knew you could not meet without a different way? Yeah, I, I mean, I served in, the, in in active duty army from 2003 to 2006 uh, mm-hmm. as an infantry soldier, as you said. And specifically, my, my I was in the uh, scout sniper platoon, and my job was um, a, a reconnaissance. So mm-hmm. I was a, I was a scout. Um, so yeah, I deployed to Mosul, Iraq, 2004 to 2005. Uh, lost a platoon sergeant. Um, he was killed in action. One of our uh, squad leaders was killed in action. Uh, so that had a very uh, powerful impact on me, and I was I was twenty, uh, turned twenty one mm. when I uh, when we deployed. So coming home, getting out, um, I got out pretty quickly, and 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 I had to watch a lot of my friends redeploy, uh, get stop lost, and um, you know I had a lot of uh, guilt around that, and I had a lot of guilt around the death of my platoon sergeant because specifically uh, that day I was given the day off, so I had a lot of survivor's guilt. Um, mm-hmm. You know how could I? change the outcome of, of, uh, that day if I was out there, you know, and I, and I felt, um, uh, pretty horrible about that. So that, that kind of, uh, was something that was, uh, festering and I wasn't addressing that and, uh, you know, tried to let it go and tried to uh, push that stuff aside as much mm-hmm. as I could to try to try to get back into my uh, a normal swing of life. Um, and, uh, a- as we know, if these things go unaddressed, they just, uh, pile up and uh, impact your life negatively. So I got to a point of uh, contemplating suicide. And, and at, at that point, uh, we had lost a few, a few uh, men from our platoon mm-hmm. um, to combat related, some, some suicide, some other 
you know, complications or, or drinking or, or, or mixing uh, medications, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew that if I didn't do something kind of drastic to pull myself out of my environment and really address these issues, I was, I was going down that same road. Mm-hmm. And I think that you knew that the road wasn't going to get there. It, it, no one's going to give you a road. You are going to have to find that road. Right. That is not easy. What did you do to dig deep enough to find your own road? Because so many <clears throat> don't have that self-awareness or that discipline or that strength. And, and not to say that people are weak because they are not. This right. war is a horrible thing. But what did you use that allowed you to dig deep to find that road? Yeah, I mean, the first, the first thing is um, peer support. That was something that really, mm. really helped me. And and linking up with uh, my Iraq War uh, veteran buddy Anthony Anderson, mm-hmm. um, he he accompanied me as we walked across the country, and and that was really vital. I think is is having um, some support system that is connected to uh, the experience that you had in some way. And this mm-hmm. is this uh, you know I I recommend this outside of the military as well, but. Um, you know, finding someone wh- who has a similar situation so you, you can connect on uh, on the same level is mm-hmm. extremely important. Well, being able to engage with someone who understands, yes. who isn't going to give you platitudes, right. who isn't going to say, it's been five years, what's your problem? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. we've all heard and know people to whom that has happened to. And the invisible wounds do not cure themselves. Um, right. I once heard a, a World War II vet say, you know, I'm not going to talk about this. I've stuffed it down there and I'm not letting it out. And that's where it's staying. And he was 80 some years old and was not, he was never going to, to, to free the demons. Mm-hmm. And you, you can understand everybody's response is different. Right. Mm. Okay. So as you went about doing this. Did you have family support? Did you have peer support? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, fortunate for me, uh, my family has been really supportive in, you know, in my in my healing process, and a lot of my friends and family uh, have have been supportive as well. So I'm I'm really grateful for that. And um, you know, it's it's my it was my um, goal as we were walking across the country to connect with other veterans and their, and their experiences. And, you know, as we did that, as we walked across the country, we found out that um, there's a lot of veterans that are going through the same thing. And I think that's really important to understand as a veteran um, is when you're reaching out to other veterans or reaching out to people with similar experiences, um, it, it, it doesn't, you know, we don't end up feeling so isolated, um, you know, in our communities. When I came back from um, active duty. I, I, you know, at that time I'm from Wisconsin, so I, I went back to Wisconsin, which is not an active duty state. So I didn't mm-hmm. have anyone really to connect with mm-hmm. um, around that. So it took some effort on my part to be able to um, see uh, what organizations are out there. How can I connect with other veterans and um, that, to actually follow through and and uh, you know reach out. I've got a question for you that yeah. is. I mean, this is. There is no right answer on this question, but there is so much discussion and very little understanding Mm -hmm. on the difference between PTSD and PTSD with moral injury. The argument can be that it's one and the same uh, or that it's completely separate and the studies are continually being done. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm really frustrated 
right. with people who are studying things, but but not addressing even in small ways steps to get beyond some of this or to manage. We know the PTSD <clears throat> cannot be cured, but it can be managed, and right. you can learn to want to live with such an injury. But talk a little bit about moral injury as something specific. Yeah, moral injury we're categorizing as a wound of the soul. So it's, it's different than than post-traumatic stress because mm -hmm. in post-traumatic stress, we're looking at like a conditioning of the nervous system. There's a physical um, conditioning that happens when you're in a dangerous uh, situation, like a combat zone for a prolonged period of time. And mm -hmm. your, body, your body adapts to that. Um, what we're looking at moral injury uh, is when you witness or participate or fail to prevent acts that transgress your own moral compass or mm -hmm. your own moral mm -hmm. bearing. Um, so that's kind of inherent in in a combat zone because you're 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 asked to do um, the uh, you know the unthinkable, unthinkable yeah and un right. un unheard of things in 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 regular society and and that's um, accepted right it's an accepted thing that. We ask our men and women to go out and put themselves in harm's way to protect each other, to protect civilians, to protect, you know, wh whoever we are assigned to do that with. Mm -hmm. um, so when you're face to face with these things, um, you know, the moral injuries, uh, they manifest as grief, guilt, shame, um, things that can't be easily medicated away. So so I, I think there's a lot of um, uh, challenges uh, with veterans being diagnosed with post-traumatic stress when really they're, they're suffering from the things that they've seen or participated in or asking questions like, was I justified in my actions or were we justified in our actions? And those are the things that um, end up, um, you know, eating away at you over time. You're absolutely right. The, the reason for the diagnosis, though, is because that's how VA gives ratings. That's yes. how VA gives benefits to people. And so I, I don't think we're going to change VA. No. But no, no. They're, and, and they don't have a separate rating for moral injury. Right. And I, I don't know that they ever will, because that's acknowledging that war brings out some things that right. nobody has answers for. And I'll just leave it at that. Right. Yeah, <laughs> so you, you know what I'm saying. So we're coming up on a break, but I'd, I'd like to ask you, the, as you came to understand that things were hard for you right. and that your, your work with the VA and, and working on your own uh, recovery was not coming, do you feel that your family uh, understood? I'm not asking if they misunderstood. I'm just saying, do you think that they also felt helpless that there wasn't a, a prescribed method for helping with moral injury. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of families in that boat is like, mm -hmm. how, how can family members be um, more helpful? And, and unfortunately, you know, my, my, my parents and my, my sister at that time, um, there's, there wasn't too much that they could do uh, uh, to, because they didn't have that similar experience to connect with me on, on that. But um, they were very supportive, and that's and that's the most important part is that they they showed up when they needed to show up, and they they were supportive when they when they needed to be supportive. Which is a fantastic thing to be able to say, because I work with a lot of wounded, ill, and injured and their caregivers on veterancaregiver.com, and there's a helplessness for a family yes. member that is really difficult to bridge. And that's why shows like this, where we talk about the things that are less talked about, 
it makes a difference. And I also think that alternative care, which is what we're going to talk about in the next sec segment, is really important because not just everything that you're told at VA and the standard quote evidence-based treatments, there's also great evidence that shows alternative care medicine therapies do work and make a measurable difference, especially when used in tandem with the prescribed care. So we will come back talking further with Tom Voss and author of Where the War Ends. Don't go away. We'll be right back. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Did you know that the average teenager drinks twice as much soda as milk? Since 1983, sugar consumption in the U.S. is up 28%. Why is that? There are several reasons, but one of the most common is soft drinks. 20-ounce beverages have become the norm, and it's not surprising to find that 43% of our sugar comes from drinks. Sugar is blamed for poor nutritional diets. USDA data shows that people whose diets are high in added sugar eat less calcium, fiber, iron, protein, and many other important nutrients. Fat-free foods are also a culprit. Since sugar is fat-free, many people tend to think it's okay to eat as much as they want. Remember that just because a food is fat-free does not mean that it's calorie-free also. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. It's merging Only six golfers in history have ever shot a hole-in-one while taking part in the Ryder Cup. Of course, the hole-in-one isn't a phenomenon for professional golfers only. Hackers, whiffers, and foozlers get them, while some PGA Tour pros still await their first. According to Golf Digest, who has been tracking info for more than 60 years, the odds of getting a hole-in-one for a professional is 5,000 to 1 and 12,000 to 1 for the rest of us. Tiger Woods shot his first hole-in-one when he was only 6 years old. And John Elway hit a hole-in-one on his 40th birthday. Now there's a good reason to frolic gozine or celebrate. I figured out why golf instructors insist you keep your head down and look at the ball. It's so that you can't see them laughing. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. We continue our discussion with Tom Voss, and we're going to talk in this segment about how the acceptance and the understanding and even the measurements of alternative therapies in addition to or instead of uh, the standard evidence-based cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, prolonged exposure therapy, EMDR, you, you all know the names of these things right and left, but they don't, one size fits all does not work for everyone. And Tom, I know that you looked into all kinds of things mm -hmm. before settling on a unique way of managing what you were finding to be both a journey as well as you were searching for a destination that was more livable. 
Yeah, so so I really went through uh, you know traditional ways. So I, I ended up going to the VA, and at that time, well, let's see, this was about 2008 when I started uh, uh, going in for help um, because it's it started manifesting in my life. I, I dropped out of school several times, um, you know, had, had was switching jobs pretty frequently. So I knew that um, um, I, it, it would have been beneficial beneficial for myself to go talk to someone. So, so mm -hmm. I started, started with a clinical social worker at a vet center and ended up going to the VA after that and traditional talk therapy, EMDR, um, and, uh, was put on the medication regimen as well. So, mm -hmm. uh, uh, eventually I, I, I figured I was on, uh, maybe four or five different medications that ended up making me feel less of a human being than I was, uh, offer it, you know, when I was off mm -hmm. them. So mm -hmm. I ended up taking myself off medication um, and started looking at more alternative ways of, of dealing with uh, or, or managing the, the different stressors that, that I had uh, encountered on my deployment. So, you know, through that, uh, peer support was a big one. We kind of talked about that before. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, meditation and uh, yoga were, were actually really big in helping me as well. And they were like kind of the first things that I actually felt relief um, and they were uh, really practical and something that I could do on my own um, that um, I could take with me where, wherever I was. So, so it was uh, um, something that I, I found very beneficial. And in terms, let's break those down. Mm -hmm. So yoga gave you both meditation and physical movement. Which was more important to you in the beginning? And how did you come to find yoga to be therapeutic to you? Well, yeah, the um, the physical practice of yoga is uh, relie relieving stress and tension in the body, and then uh, the medita meditation is followed by by the pr physical practice of yoga, and that is uh, very beneficial for uh, calming the mind and uh, releasing stress and tension in the mind as well. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, when I first started, it, it was it was a challenge, right? Because it was you know bringing a discipline back into your life. And um, at that time, I had kind of throw, thrown everything out, um, my military service, my uh, exercise, all that kind of stuff. So I had to really uh, dig down deep and really incorporate um, breath-based meditation techniques and uh, yoga back, back into my life. But once I got into a routine of doing that, I could feel the benefits in my body. And, and by, that, by that time, um, I was ready and willing to do what, what I needed to do, try what I needed to do to get um, some sort of relief. And uh, that's the mentality I had. And, and I went through and uh, just started practicing on my own. Were you given uh, the yoga or the meditation through the VA? Uh, no, this was uh, private. This was before yeah. they offered it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Because since then, they have recognized that both yoga and meditation, mindful breathing, any intentional practices are a discipline that do indeed relay good results to people and outcomes. Again, no one size fits all. I mean, right. there's people who say, I can't meditate. I would lose my mind or right. it makes me anxious. Um, and, but you do bring up an excellent point that a lot of people don't realize, and, and which is why I, I wish that VA would promote alternative and complementary therapies more, is that meds, sure, some meds are necessary, and I used to work in the pharmaceutical industry, and I believe that there's a good place for medication. Mm -hmm. But in the case of a lot of the psychotropic meds, they tend to mask systems, but they also cause weight gain. 
um, a lot of quality of life issues, loss of libido, a lot of quality of life that is made lesser, not right. just for the veteran, but for the family as well. And so a flatness in affect and, you know, the sleeping becomes passing out. Um, right. And then self-medicating is even in more and then come risky behaviors. So yeah, by your being able to, to go, you said go back to yoga. Had you done yoga before? Um, I had, I had uh, tried meditation, I think, before I left on my trek, and it, and mm -hmm. it kind of fell away. But then I was re reintroduced to meditation um, <clears throat> on the trek across the country, and then I started kind of practicing on, my, on, my, on, our, on our way out towards California. Mm -hmm. uh, and, then, and then really kind of came to the physical practice of yoga or the asanas um, years later. So I, I started out with uh, breath-based uh, meditation techniques and then, and then yoga down the road. That makes sense. It makes sense. And the other thing is that I, I have to ask you, I am imagining that being outdoors, being outside, being with yes. a fellow veteran, meeting other veterans, um, talking to others and having a good relationship um, as you, a, a positive yes. response as you went through had to help you. Yeah, definitely. And, and being out, outside is, is uh, being in nature is something that I found has been really beneficial for <clears throat> my own mental health. And it's something yes. that um, I, I, I really like to, uh, you know, suggest to veterans uh, whenever I'm giving talks or anything like that is how important it is to be able to get outside and, and be in green space and kind of reconnect and kind of uh, uh, get away from yeah, you know the um, your the, head. Yeah, your head and your life, and you know <laughs> things that are going on, and and just to take a few moments to be um, in reconnect with nature is very powerful. It is, and I think that's where um, if you're inside, if you're taking medications, if you don't want to go out, or you're agoraphobic, there can be a number of reasons why you wouldn't go out. Mm -hmm. It becomes a vicious cycle when we overthink. We rarely overthink in a positive fashion. Right. Overthinking is a negative spiral. And so by getting outside, it's also a sensory difference. Yes. Mm -hmm. Talk about breathing outdoors on your trek versus breathing indoors in a place yeah. of yoga. Yeah, there's 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 challenges to to, to all of it, and mm -hmm. uh, but I, but I think it's just um, you know having good air quality and uh, sun. Uh, these these are very you know you know things that uh, I found to be really beneficial uh, for my own mental health. So um, finding what works for you is is the challenge. You know you you have to put in the effort to 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 go through a couple programs that might not you know be a fit, but you have to approach everyone with. The, you know, the mentality of, I, you know, I want to get better, so I'm willing to try, you know, whatever it takes, you know, the stuff that makes you feel uncomfortable, you wouldn't have caught me dead in a, in a yoga class uh, <laughs> before, before um, you know, having experienced uh, moral injury and post-traumatic stress. So, I, you know, I got to the point of, you know, I need to do this for myself, I need to do this for my family and, and feel better uh, about myself. And, you know, I was willing to do what I needed to do to, to do that. And that, that ended up being yoga and meditation. I'm like, extremely grateful that well gratitude is another big thing yes that helps people to heal because if you're grateful for the small things in life the big things in life seem like miracles and mm -hmm. so as you practiced 
meditation, it sounds as though you were also practicing gratitude. You were tuning into the outdoors as you walked. And those are all healing practices to allow you to forgive yourself and anyone else who puts you in that position. Yeah, that's that's a really important uh, point you br bring up is is forgiveness, you know, forgiveness of yourself and um, uh, being grateful for what you have. And, you know, I had to I had to start changing my perspective on on the way I saw life. And, you know, instead of regretting that I was still alive and my friends were dead, I had to I had to re flip that to, um, you know, grateful for being alive because it gives me the opportunity to help veterans who have been through my experience or help the family members who don't understand their veterans experience. So, you know, really trying to see, um, you know, and, and come up with ways of being grateful is, is, um, a daily practice. And what worked for you? Um, in, in regards to being grateful, a gratitude practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something that, um, is incorporated into my meditation, uh, practice and an easy way that you can practice that, that at home is, is, is finding a quiet space and just focusing in on, you know, one or two or three things uh, every morning that you're grateful for. And, you know, sometimes just waking up is, is something to be is something to be grateful for. I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with you. I, I know other vets who find writing to be a catharsis. And so yeah. they'll keep a gratitude journal, whether it's at night, you know, before they go to bed, what am I grateful for? Or as you said, in the morning, uh, what what is what is good in my world? Because I think if we look for the good, yes. we'll find it. Just as if you look for the bad, you will find it as well. Yeah. But if you can change your lens from negative to positive, it does allow a perspective shift. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't happen overnight, does it? No, not at all. And, and it's, it goes back to the saying of, you know, what you put your intention on grows. So mm -hmm. that's the thing is... Even if you don't feel you feel silly or you feel like you know this isn't doing anything, the the repetition of it and the and your focusing and changing your perspective, um, you know, almost intentionally uh, to focus on the positive things that are going on in life, um, which could be you know I have I have food I have shelter, you know it could be very um, you know you have a friend to walk with things. yeah exactly those those types of things. Uh, on a regular basis, help shift uh, perspective. And once it's shifted, it, it stabilizes. Yeah. Slowly and surely. Slowly, yeah. Would you agree? Yeah. yeah, and and it takes practice, right? It's just mm -hmm. that's that's the whole thing about uh, meditation and yoga. It's just seen as practice. There's no um, there's no um, indefinite right way that you need to be doing it. Like every day is a new day to to practice either gratitude or, or your personal practice. And that has extremely, um, extremely beneficial uh, for helping manage a lot of things in moral injury and post-traumatic stress. Actually, it helps in managing life itself, which yeah. is often full of stressors and annoyances, um, less so moral injury in most cases, but it's a practice that can be applied in life. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how programs that become a way of life are the ones that are very sustaining and mm -hmm. that you can manage. So we're going on another break. We'll be back soon to talk with Tom Voss. Don't go away. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. Welcome to Toginet. 
Radio with a cutting edge. It's words you never heard. We always get a kick out of the warning labels companies attach to prevent lawsuits from the hooky crooky of this world. A warning label on a dishwasher cautioned not to put any person in the unit. Speaking of dishwashers, one product warning on a television remote control read, not dishwasher safe. That's too bad because we know how dirty the remote control gets. In fact, we press the buttons even harder when we know the battery is dead. What are we, part of the radiculati? A warning on a baby stroller read, remove child before folding. Here's one for the blunderbusses and and jays among us. A label on a letter opener read, safety goggles recommended. Call me snarky, but any society that needs this many disclaimers has too many lawyers, pedophagers, and snollygosters. It's marching Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. I think as we've been talking about the various means of recovery from PTS, moral injury, combat. There, we've, we've recognized that there are many different ways that people can come to find something that helps them. No one size fits all we've said before, too. Before the break, I mentioned that practices that become a way of life as opposed to a one-off uh, meeting or a retreat, nothing wrong with those things. Those can be extremely helpful and supporting. But if you have something that doesn't require a lot of other effort on the outside, depending on other people that you can do yourself, a way of life as you have done with your meditation and your yoga, you put control of your life back into yourself, uh, any higher power you may believe in or not believe in, and you take your life back, which is very empowering. Yeah, it's... um... You know, for me, what it ended up doing is is making making yoga and meditation a priority in my life. Mm-hmm. And when you make something a priority in the, in your life, that's when it you can really see um, the positive impacts uh, that that manifest in your life from from that practice. And the thing about making it a discipline too is, I think a lot of uh, the reason why we have so many challenges in our life and suffering and all these different things is we have so many options. And when you, when you, when you, when you cheesecake factory, menu. exactly, exactly. Check the great example. Um, <laughs> so when you, when you, um, have discipline in your life, you're taking options off the table. Um, so, so in, in translation, you know, uh, it, it should lead to less suffering in your life. Um, because you have your, your lane that you're staying in and you're like, this is, you know, this is what I'm allowing in my life. And that doesn't mean you have to be completely rigid all the time, but, um, you know, knowing what's a priority in life and knowing that it's, it's benefiting you. And that's, you know, something that I had to go through is challenging in the beginning, but, mm-hmm. um, now it's something that I do on a daily basis. Talk about your trek as you were walking with Anthony and meeting people along the way, mm-hmm. um, this was not a posh thing. You didn't stop and, and have wonderful hotels and, and on you go. You walked, you met a multitude of people across the country, I'm sure. Talk a little yeah. bit about that, please. Yeah, so we, we left from Milwaukee, Wisconsin and uh, ended up uh, Santa Monica Pier in California. So it took us about five months to walk. Uh, our goal 
was to walk 20 miles a day. Sometimes that didn't uh, work out or go to according to as planned um, because our, our feet would get destroyed um, from walking mm-hmm. so much. So, mm-hmm. you know, there are some days where, where we could only, you know, manage a few miles and then we would have to make up the miles down the road. But we met um, amazing veterans and, and people who um, showed up to support our, our effort in bringing awareness to uh, what veterans are going through when they come home um, from from combat. So, you know, we we left feeling that, you know, we were going to do this on our own and that we had a, we had to carry everything on our backs ourselves. But what we found out was that there are so many people, non-veterans and veterans and family members alike that uh, really showed up to support us. So I don't know that we would have been able to make it uh, across the country um, if we didn't have that uh, overwhelming support. But I love the fact that the communities embraced you. Yes, and yeah. that they supported you, and you have, I'm sure, a myriad of stories where, you know, you were without. <clears throat> I believe that I read something about uh, a story with either socks or shoes or something very basic, <clears throat> and people helped you with food and shelter and introducing you to other veterans. It became, you grew as you, you. Your story gathered miles and communities along the way. What was mostly the community response? Uh, for us, it was it was mostly positive. You know, we had a, we had a few veterans that that we that we met um, who ended up projecting a few of their own um, you know doubts onto what we were doing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, we came across some veterans that said, "You know, you know what you signed up for," um, kind of a thing. Uh-huh. Um, in reality, I mean, I don't think anyone has is is prepared for war um, uh, on the most basic level. Um, so there, you know, we had some, you know, and of course, internet people on the internet. But overwhelmingly, for Anthony and myself, it was extremely positive, and and for us, it helped reinstill trust. Mm-hmm. I think in communities and in people um, because humanity. You, yeah, I mean, you don't have that luxury in a combat zone to trust people. Um, no, you, you can trust the the the, the the people to the left or the right of you that you're serving with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but outside of that, you don't have that luxury. And I think a lot of veterans carry that back with them and, and aren't very trusting. And this this process of walking, <clears throat> excuse me, walking across the country uh, allowed us to, I think, build trust uh, again in, in humanity. I think you probably instilled it in others, too, when you spoke up and affirmed that others had gone through similar things and that you understood it. You grew a bigger peer group, I imagine. Yeah, I, I think when we said we were going to do this trek, we, we started a Facebook page. Um, and then by the end of uh, our trek, we had around 4,000 people that were following us and supporting us. So um, it, we had a, a nice audience where we could have conversations about uh, mental health and you know the actual strength that it takes to ask for help and the uh, mm. strength that it takes to be vulnerable. Um, and, and these things are traditionally you know, coming from a military culture seen, seen as, as weak points. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's flipping the conversation, you know, how much strength it takes to ask for help and, and ask for support and uh, knowing that you don't need to shoulder this load all on your own. Now, you also were part of an Emmy-nominated film called Almost Sunrise. And was that a plus as you went through being filmed at some good moments, some less good moments? Um, how did that feel? Did it feel intrusive or did it feel as part of the journey? 
Well, we were, we were approached by an independent filmmaker before we even left. Mm -hmm. So it was um, something we um, we're, we weren't really, we didn't really know what to expect. I mean, we hadn't participated in anything like that um, ever before. Um, so there, there are times definitely where, you know, you have, you have a camera in your face and you're just like, oh, I just want to be on my own. But at the same time, I think Anthony and myself, we, we really understood that the reason it's being documented is that in the, in the end, it's going to reach veterans and their families to help build understanding and to, and to help. So that I think that really, you know, uh, made it a lot easier for us to, to have a film crew following us uh, for, for part of the way uh, across the country. But you, your reach became so much greater. Yeah, definitely. It definitely did. So we're really grateful. Um, the film came out uh, amazingly. <clears throat> and um, yeah, <clears throat> excuse me, couldn't, couldn't uh, have asked for uh, a better film, actually. That's tremendous. And can people still see that? Yeah, uh, Almost Sunrise is available on uh, Amazon, iTunes, and uh, YouTube. Okay. Important to know. Yeah, definitely. And it's called Almost Sunrise for Correct. those of our listeners who would like to go watch it. These are, this was an intrepid plan that you did. But I love the part that you said it helped to rebuild trust because you're right. The military community is very insular. Mm -hmm. It does not trust those outside. Um, and that can also eventually, in some cases, unfortunately, get to be an us versus them mentality. Right. And that hostility does not help. Yet in life, and, and in working with as many veteran families as I have over the last 12 years, I have found that even the civilians are very, very, especially the civilians, are very open to assisting. They just don't know how. And so in some ways, when we expect them to know things that the military community lives with all the time, that's an unfair right. presumption. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think, um, you know, the, the civilian population really, um, you know, it's, it's hard to understand military mm -hmm. culture unless you've been in it. Um, True. So, so I think... Um, you know, a lot of uh, men and women internalize that kind of kind of thinking coming out. And, um, you know, I have I have I have friends that won't even talk to, you know, uh, you know, other veterans. So it, it goes both ways. <laughs> on, That's on interesting. The, the spectrum as well. No, so. it does go both ways. And, yeah. and there's also social media has had a compare and despair effect yes. on people. And I think that that is the downside of social media, um, because <sighs> The highlight reel of war right. is right. not a highlight reel. And and so injuries are compared, um, families are compared, situations are compared. There's even, we had a very interesting interview with someone who worked on notification, mm. and there's a hierarchy of grief. Right. You know, if someone dies uh, in a training accident, it's not as, quote, a big deal right. as someone who's killed in combat KIA. So it, it it's... We're really hard pressed in this country to not be divisive, but your effort seems to have pulled people together. Would you agree with that? I think that was the the outcome. I don't know if that was our our intention in the beginning, but you know, we we did want to build a community around um, awareness and healing and how we can all all come together 
uh, to do that. And, and we need everyone to do that. You know, it needs to be a community effort to be able to heal. I mean, we're, we're sending our sons and daughters to, to fight in combat zones overseas on our behalf. And I think a lot of, a lot of people forget that, um, that, um, you know, the military, regardless of your political views, they're going to do what is asked of them, regardless of who's right. in office. Um, so it, we get into to murky waters when it gets politicized. But, you know, at the end of the day, that's what the military is is there to do is, you know, to defend the, the people of this country, uh, foreign and domestic and, up you know, protect the Constitution of the United States. Um, Amen. Definitely. You, just, you yep. just said a mouthful, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you really did. Um, so why was writing this book important for vets and their families? Well, I think, um, you know, we get we get a little uh, I like to like to uh, compare it to the documentary in the sense that, you know, in 90 minutes, we get kind of a flyover of what I went through and the the the, the book that that um, that it, we wrote uh, really dives deep into the whys, um, why I was feeling the way I was feeling. And, um, you know, I couldn't, um, at that time in my life articulate or have the, the, the verbiage, I guess you could say to really, um, express how, why I was feeling the way I was feeling. And it, and it took years, um, and it took a, a truck across the country to really kind of process that stuff. So this, the book really dives deep into, um, what I experienced when I came home from combat, and um, the ways I was able to move through that. So walking across the country, how I found meditation and yoga and um, how we can and use holistic practices to help maintain um, and manage uh, our own mental health. Very true. And have you found, and we're going on our final break in just a, under a minute. So I'll just ask you the question and we'll hold it till afterward. Have you found that the response from family members is something that maybe no one else is contemplating taking a track such as you did, mm -hmm. but your other practices that you mentioned, your other experiences that you went through, have there been responses that said, you know, what you said resonated and we've tried this, this, and this now? Yes, no, and then we'll come back after. Yeah, definitely. We've had uh, a lot of good feedback from uh folks reading the book. Excellent. We're going on our final break and we will be back to talk further about the Trek PTS and moral injury with Tom Voss. Don't go away. There's more to come. We'll be back. Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Did you know that the average teenager drinks twice as much soda as milk? Since 1983, sugar consumption in the U.S. is up 28%. Why is that? There are several reasons, but one of the most common is soft drinks. 20-ounce beverages have become the norm, and it's not surprising to find that 43% of our sugar comes from drinks. Sugar is blamed for poor nutritional diets. USDA data shows that people whose diets are high in added sugar eat less calcium, fiber, iron, protein, and many other important nutrients. Fat-free foods are also a culprit. 
since sugar is fat-free, many people tend to think it's okay to eat as much as they want. Remember that just because a food is fat-free does not mean that it's calorie-free also. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Do not disturb sign has been around as long as there have been hotels where discretion was a bitter part of value. One lecturer at Cornell University School of Hotel Administration traces the do not disturb sign roots to the aristocracy of the early 20th century at grand establishments such as the Ritz in Europe. It sure is annoying when you just want to be a slug of bed and someone knocks at the door and says, housekeeping. What's the word for the semi-conscious state between sleep and wakefulness? Hypnopompic. There are days when I wish I could wear a do not disturb sign around my neck. What to call someone who wants to lay in bed all day? A scabberlacher. I'm Carolyn Davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. We were talking on the break about the importance of family members. And and I think we all know families where the veteran is, they know something is wrong, but but they've done everything that they believe that they can they've they've taken treatment they've had talk therapy they've had medication etc and the family member still knows that something is not right that something is unresolved uh, or it has even de-escalated or devolved into a, a very risky situation for a family what would you say to veterans or family members who are having a difficult time right now and are listening to this show going okay well i can do mindful breathing but I'm not going to bend like a yoga person um, and, and, you know, the naysayers right. because they're always out there and so yeah. with good reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, I have veteran friends and I've heard this a lot. Um, they, they just say that um, this is just the way I am now and this is how I manage it, right? So whatever, whatever you know, that might be. Um, and, and uh, you know, for the, for the family members too um, – um, really building understanding around um, the veteran experience. So one exercise I, I recommend to, to veterans and um, is to share one experience with with a loved one that you've never shared before, and just start there. And this this helps build trust, um, you know, in in that relationship. So whether it's um, you know something that impacted you negatively or something that um, sticks with you today. It's a very powerful exercise to, you know, sit down and share one experience. And what you, you usually find is is that the family member is extremely grateful for 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 you sharing because they want to help. They want to be mm-hmm. supportive. It's just they don't have the outlet or the means or they don't know how they can help. But when we share our experience and when veterans specifically share their experience with um, people who don't have the, the the war experience, we're building an understanding around the concept of war and how um, powerful and how long it stays with um, the people who participate in it. So it's interesting to to see um, that not only does it affect you know vet- veterans and and military members that participate in war, but it has uh, generational effects too. We're seeing a lot more now in research that 
these traumatic events are, are, are passed down through, through DNA. So the different stressors we, we feel are, we, uh, are imparted on us in our lives um, carry through to generations. And, and you think about that. My grandfather was a World War II veteran, mm -hmm. and his experience on Iwo, Iwo Jima as a uh, Marine Corps um, platoon leader right. was, uh, is, impacts how he raised my, my aunts and uncles and my father. So, so we're, 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 it's so important to build understanding around this so we can make better decisions about going to war in the first place. Well said. There is also a great study on secondary PTS mm -hmm. and generational PTS. And I agree with you on sharing one experience. I do, however, know of families where this came at a crisis point after night terrors or repeated scary things. Right. And what was shared was more than the person could hear. Yes. And you cannot unhear something like that. And, and so it is absolutely a way to build trust. And there's also an understanding that someone may not understand it because they were not there. Yes. And so there has to be trust and empathy and compassion on both sides so that it is taken as a trust thing as opposed to just an unleashing of <clears throat> yes. a demon. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, totally. And and understanding that, um, you know, so, some people might... Um, not be ready to hear that is is very very important um, to when if you decide to end up talking about these things. So so if you're on the receiving end of this, you know, like you're saying, compassion, empathy, coming from a place of non-judgment, I think is is important because you know when you're in a combat zone, you are asked to do these things and you follow the orders to do them. Um, so a lot of the I think the moral injury comes from um, you know judging. Being yeah, and being put in these situations where you know you don't you don't have a choice. It's it's kill or be killed. So mm -hmm. you know, and then you come back into you know the civilian world, and um, you know there's their judgment around these things. When you know at the end of the day, you you know it's you did the best you could. Yeah, you do the best you can, and you know we just focused on let's just get everyone home the best mm -hmm. that we can, and mm -hmm. that's that's how you survive. And I think the other thing to remember is that when you share your stories, try not to do them at a crisis point because the, the crisis point in unmanaged PTS or someone who's really being pushed into a corner to, to share, um, that can cause damage yes. as well. So if, to family members, be careful what you ask for. Yes. And when you do receive it, receive it in as not judgmental a way as you possibly can because you weren't there. Yes, yes, exactly. So, you know, being that that point of being non-judgmental is 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 really important um, because the context of, of which, you know, this event has happened is is outside of the realm uh, of knowing for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Well, the other thing is when vets share among vets, there's that peer support that you mentioned multiple times. That is a, a very safe place in terms of others who may have experienced it. But you can also get pushback from other vets, too, who just say, well, let's just say everybody is different and views life through their own lens. And yes. so we can't expect full acceptance or full rejection, you know, whenever we're going to, to say something to someone. We have to take a risk when we share that the response won't be what we anticipate. But better to try 
to to reach out and engage with someone than to keep it bottled up. Yes, yes, I I, I agree with that. I, I don't think anyone anyone benefits from from keeping this stuff locked up uh, and pushed down. It's it's pretty detrimental, I think, to to our health, um, not just personal health for for the veteran, but uh, you know, family health, community health, relationships, uh, relationships. Yes. Yes, I mean, definitely. relationships can terribly suffer from this sort of transition back. And everybody knows something's wrong, but it's somewhat of a powder keg situation at times. And so diffusing the situation is is important. And so with walks or mm-hmm. non-threatening, I mean, everything from um, your yoga, meditation, etc., to service animals and... Uh, equine therapy. There are so many alternative complementary therapies these days that you can add that help people to try things out to see what works for them. And chances are good you will find something because that has grown enormously yes. over the years, whether it is uh, disabled sports or, um, as I mentioned earlier, retreats. And there are now family things as well that include the family because just as the tagline on our show is everyone serves and together we make a difference. The family can be an integral part of healing as well as, you know, keeping the family cohesive and communicating. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I agree with everything you're saying. It's, it's, it's important to um, really understand too, that um, you, you have to be patient with yourself mm. Um it, which is which is um, a hard thing to do. I, I think a lot of times we we take it out on ourselves or really hard on ourselves about um, the things that happen in our lives. And this is something that you know I work on on a, on a daily basis is is uh, cultivating patience. Uh, mm-hmm. It's really important uh, in the healing process. It take it takes a long time. You have to see it as um, you know not a destination, but um, something that you're going to have to continually work on. Uh, you know, the rest of, of your life, unfortunately, at least that's what I've, I've, I've come to find because the, the things that I, you know, witnessed and participated in are going to be with me forever, but the relationship can change. You know, your relationship with those events can change. You can um, become uh, more emotionally distant uh, from the, the traumatic events and you can have less of an emotional re- reaction to them over time. And that's something that meditation and yoga has, has done for me. And that's fantastic because once you find something that works for you, yes. it really makes the rest of living a, a lot more palatable yes. and, in fact, <laughs> enjoyable. And you wake up, I'm certain, thinking this is another day that you've been given to continue your story. Now, the URL for people wanting to learn more is themeditatingvet.com. And you also have a Twitter account, uh, at Tom two underscores, underscore, underscore, Voss, V-O-S-S. And those are good ways to find him. Any other things that you'd like to mention? We have about three minutes left. Yeah, I mean, just keep, as far as seeking services for veterans, I mean, you just have to keep going. You have to try, you have to exhaust all your resources. And as you were saying, there are a lot of resources out there these days. Um, So there are great organizations out there. One is uh, Stop Soldier Suicide, that is a resource center, and they'll they'll hook veterans up with a uh, 24 months of uh, of having a case manager. So if you do find um, that you're not finding the right services or whatever, you have some support um, to help you find ones that do fit. So there there's a lot of options out there today 
um, to be able to find the right programming. And um, but the only way that that happens is if you know you're 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 doing the trial. Engaged. Yeah, you have to go through it. You have to go through ones that might not work or that might make you you know uncomfortable. It's just all all part of the the process of of healing yourself. Well, I I had a physician expert on PTSD come on one time, and he said it's like cleaning out a closet. You mm. clean out the closet, and you create a bigger mess than when you started. Yes. But when you put things back into the closet, now you have order. Now you have more understanding. Now you know what's important and what to keep and what to throw away. And I thought it was a really good visual because yeah. everybody has cleaned out a garage or a closet or a basement and knows that it is not an easy process, and it doesn't happen in an hour. Yeah. So. Those are important things. Tom, give the URL again, please. Um, at my website is the uh, meditatingvet.com. Um, you can find out uh, more information about uh, Almost Sunrise and Where War Ends um, mm -hmm. through there. And um, I'm usually pretty uh, available if, if there are veterans or family members that, that, that need to reach out that way. That's fantastic because I think the connection with somebody who's been through what you've been through and also walked their way to the sunrise is pretty impressive. So Where War Ends is his book found on Amazon and anywhere books are sold and we'll put the link in our show notes and thank you so much for sharing all the details that you have today on and giving hope to those yeah. who may have suffered the same things that you have or are recognizing in your words, hmm, that yeah. sounds like me as well. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You're so welcome. Please join us again next week for another show that will bring intriguing guests, topics of discussion that we will take as deeply as we can get in the time we have allowed. We're very glad that you've joined us today. Make it a great week. for tuning in today to Military Network Radio. You can find our show at our website, www.toginet.com forward slash Military Network Radio. Also, www.militarynetworkradio.com and in iTunes under Military Network Radio. Join us next week when we bring you another program to enhance your